Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today, we're going to talk about the chances of Trump being disqualified from the ballot after the latest court ruling. And I interview former Obama speechwriter and host of Pod Save America, John Favreau, about whether a conviction would mean Trump is no longer viable as a candidate, whether we should be worried about Biden's low poll numbers, and the impact he thinks a third-party candidate would have on the election. I'm Brian Tyler Cohen, and you're listening to No Lie. We've now got the ruling from the Colorado case that was brought by the watchdog group Crew to disqualify Donald Trump from the ballot based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment which prohibits anyone from holding office if they engaged in insurrection or gave aid or comfort to those who've engaged in insurrection. The judge, Sarah Wallace, ruled that Donald Trump, quote, engaged in insurrection on January 6, 2021 through incitement and that the First Amendment does not protect Trump's speech. But in that same ruling, she also found that the 14th Amendment's insurrection ban does not apply to presidents, and therefore she rejected the effort to remove Trump from the primary ballot in Colorado. So obviously two major findings here. First, that he did engage in insurrection. And second, that it doesn't apply to presidents. But I want to focus on uh, the second one, that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment doesn't apply. So first, here's what Judge Wallace wrote. Quote, after considering the arguments on both sides, the court is persuaded that officers of the United States did not include the president of the United States. It appears to the court that for whatever reason, the drafters of Section 3 did not intend to include a person who had only taken the presidential oath. Now, I'm going to read Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And I'm just going to read the pertinent parts here so it's not too confusing. Quote, no person shall hold any office, civil or military, under the United States who, having previously taken an oath as an officer of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection. And look, I want to make the caveat at the top here that I'm not a legal scholar, but I'm also not sure on what planet this passes the smell test. Think about this logically for a moment. The 14th Amendment was ratified after the Civil War expressly to prevent those who previously served from serving again if they engaged in insurrection. Judge Wallace is suggesting here that the authors of this amendment went through the trouble of prohibiting any elected official who engaged in insurrection from serving again except the president, meaning that in the event a president sought to overthrow a democracy, that he or she should be able to continue serving as president. They devoted an entire constitutional amendment to insulating our democracy from its enemies, but built in a glaring loophole for the most powerful person in the country. I'm sorry, but that is just devoid of basic logic. What, what I think happened here is that the judge didn't want to be the person who would unilaterally determine Donald Trump can't appear on the ballot. So she wrote a more than 100-page ruling, the majority of which lays out that Donald Trump did indeed engage in insurrection so that it doesn't come across as some huge win for Trump, but that she was just stopped short of actually finding him ineligible to appear on the ballot because of some technicality with the wording of the amendment, which, again, doesn't really make any logical sense on its face. And if you're wondering why she might do that, you can refer back to her own statement from a few weeks back where she concedes that she had concerns about, quote, safety for the parties, for the lawyers, and frankly, for myself and my staff based on what we've seen in other cases. So if you're wondering why Donald Trump commits so much time and energy to intimidating judges and prosecutors and witnesses and court staff. It's because sometimes it works. And look, I want to be clear that we can never be sure one way or the other that this is what happened. But from a layman's perspective, this all certainly does seem like a reasonable read to me that Judge Wallace went 99 percent of the way before taking the very last exit 
and then blaming it on some tortured reading of an amendment that was literally adopted to prevent Civil War insurrectionists from running for elected office. Again, how that amendment would somehow seek to purposefully protect an insurrectionist president makes no sense on its face. But here's the takeaway. It is not now nor ever solely up to the courts to save this country from the danger of another Donald Trump term. It's just not. We can't allow the fate of our democracy to rest in the hands of judges who may be politically aligned with Donald Trump, who may themselves worry about their own safety, uh, who may not have the experience or the temerity to rule against someone as powerful as Donald Trump. Obviously, we've got prosecutors and judges working their asses off to make sure that he is held to account for his actions. And for the record, I do think he will be. But at the same time, the onus has to be on us to protect this democratic experiment. It has to be on us to make sure that people know that a judge just found that the leading Republican candidate for president of the United States engaged in insurrection against our own government. I don't know how to make this any more clear beyond saying that this man is an enemy of the United States of America. So while we can't control what happens in the courts and we can't control what specific words and some 150 year old amendment might offer Trump an out, we can control what we do heading into 2024. We can control uh, making sure that our friends and families and neighbors and coworkers know the stakes in this election and that they have a plan to vote. We can make sure that they know that even a judge found that Trump engaged in an insurrection. And we can make sure that we are informed about what's happening in this country because one party is very clearly relying on your ignorance to feed you disinformation. So don't give them the satisfaction. Next up is my interview with John Favreau. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Now we've got former speechwriter for Barack Obama and the host of Pod Save America, John Favreau. Thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me, Brian. So Pod Save America famously isn't a prediction show, but this show, we do shameless predictions all day, Love every it. day. So um, I, I want to game out the prospect of a Trump conviction because it does look like Judge Chutkin in Washington, D.C. And that trial is hellbent on making sure that it starts on time in March which could mean that we see conviction and sentencing before the election uh, in November. If Trump is convicted, do you think he's still viable as a candidate in the Republican Party? Yes, unfortunately. I think he's still viable as a candidate, but I do think, I mean, for all the talk about the New York Times Siena polls uh, a few weeks ago, I thought that the best piece of news in there is that even with Joe Biden struggling against Donald Trump in those battlegrounds by a couple losing by a couple points. Um, if Trump is convicted, you have a bunch of voters who at least told the New York Times that they would switch to vote for Joe Biden and Joe Biden would lead actually by double digits in a lot of those states, which just goes to show that like we have no idea what the political environment will feel like in, next year next month a couple months later so it's just it's it's tough to know now i still think that like that you know the, the flip side of that is it shows that uh even though biden is leading by double digits if trump is convicted he's still you know trump's still in the game so he's still a viable candidate but it look it, it looks at least like from that poll that it gives biden a boost i mean this is also impossible to tell one way or the other right now but do you think that 
Donald Trump stays the Republican nominee, or do you think that there is some type of defection to to a Nikki Haley or something like that? I can't get in the minds of those uh, those folks. Yeah, but um, I I from everything I've seen over the last several years, I would highly doubt that they would because it, it, here's the thing: if if he was somehow convicted before he wrapped up the nomination, I think that's a separate story. But if let's say i think the the earliest you get a conviction is like april right if the trial date doesn't slip and at that point super probably tuesday even happened. a little bit even a little bit later like yeah probably but, a little but, bit later yeah. and at that point super tuesday has happened and he gets the majority of delegates so now you've got a republican base and a republican party infrastructure that loves trump has always loved trump thinks the conviction is probably going to say that the conviction uh is unfair that it was weaponized justice department all that kind of stuff so they already think that and now he's got the majority of delegates or he's got the nomination locked up so i don't know that they i think there'll be some small movement within the republican party to tank him as nominee but i don't know that it'll work this is also a party for whom inciting an insurrection wasn't disqualifying so the idea that you know the biden's weaponized doj is gonna is gonna you know be some giant litmus test for them kind of defies logic and defies history so far a bunch of trump hating blues liberal jurors and 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 (laughs) dc and a trump hating judge yeah no now, if Trump isn't the candidate and you've got these other Republicans who have shamelessly pandered to his voters uh, without upsetting them too much during the primary, you've got the the Nikki Haley's and the Ron DeSantis's towing that line. Um, do you think that Trump voters and you've you've spoken through your wilderness series, you've spoken to voters across the country. Do you think that these voters do have the capacity to switch over to another Republican or ha- has everything that you've seen thus far shown that these are Trump voters and not necessarily Republican voters? So I think it depends on the voter. I think the way that I would split up the Republican electorate based on uh, all the data I've seen over the last several years and people I've talked to is there's about a third of the Republican electorate that is like they are Trump people no matter what. They are excited to vote for Trump. They have made up their minds. They are ride or die, jail or no jail Trump fans. Then there's probably a third of the electorate that's like, we don't like Trump. We are actively looking to move on from Trump. I don't want to vote for him. I want to vote for another candidate. Then I think there is a third of the Republican electorate that loves Trump, that thinks maybe we should move on. I'm willing to look at another candidate. I'm open to other candidates. And like maybe electability is a concern. Maybe he's too extreme, but I don't know. I kind of like him too. So that's, I think, the up for grabs part of the electorate. Well, that does pose a pretty serious problem for Republicans because, I mean, Donald Trump lost Wisconsin, for example, in 2020 by six tenths of a point, and he won it by that much in 2016. So if there is a third of the electorate who wouldn't vote for anybody if it's not Donald Trump, who's not going to bother turning out if it's not Donald Trump, and you're winning these states by less than a point, I mean, that that ain't it. I mean, I think that if Trump, if the polls somehow shifted and Trump was in trouble in the Republican primary or became competitive, I actually think that's an argument that Trump and his campaign would start making to Republican voters, like nominate me or else we're going to lose because my people won't show up. Right. You know, uh, to your earlier point, you've spoken about these polls that show Biden's weak poll numbers. I I think that we're on the same page in terms of reminding people, first and foremost, that most Americans aren't paying attention to politics right now. And so anything in polling that we're seeing is kind of reflective of just the freaks like us who are, you know, clued in in November of an off year. But with that caveat aside, do you think that that polling for Biden is cause for alarm? 
I think it's cause for Dan Pfeiffer always says this. It's worry about everything, panic about nothing. So I think I do think it's cause for worry, but I think we should be worried constantly because Donald Trump is on the is probably going to be on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, democracy is at risk. So yeah, I'm worried. I'll give you two scenarios, both of which I truly believe could pan out. Um, the the hopeful scenario here is, like you said, not a lot of people are paying attention. The electorate is grumpy. They are uh, maybe a little scared of the chaos in the world and some at home. They are very worried about in, uh, the, the cost of everything. Uh, prices being high, even though the rate of inflation is coming down, prices are still stubborn, stubbornly high. So you get a grumpy electorate. And then when they answer a poll, they are registering their disapproval of uh, the person who is in charge of all of this, which is Joe Biden, right? And incumbents, presidents have had this problem before. Barack Obama had this issue in, in 2011 leading up to the 2012 reelect. And so then when the campaign really starts next year and it becomes clear to everyone that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee and it becomes real to people that we could have another Trump presidency, then people start keying in and the polls start shifting and Joe Biden, and it's still going to be a very close race, but the the folks who are disappointed now, which are primarily younger voters, voters of color, uh, and these are these tend to be the most disaffected voters, voters who maybe are, are hard to poll right now, they come back into the electorate and they vote for Joe Biden, even if they're not thrilled about it. Yeah. And, and, and then Joe Biden wins. That's the hopeful scenario. The, the non-hopeful scenario is that we have been winning, Democrats have been winning these special elections and these midterms because our coalition is filled with a lot of college-educated voters who are really tuned into politics because they're people like us who are, have been pretty nervous since 2016, and they have been showing up, and they, those Trump fans that we were talking about have not been showing up as much because Trump wasn't on the ballot. And once we have you know, like we always use the example of the abortion ballot measure in Ohio, there's like about 2 million more voters in Ohio that we know are going to show up for the um, general election than showed up in the midterms. And those voters, according to all the data, tend to be a little bit more moderate, younger voters of color, but still more moderate and more disaffected in their views of politics. And so if those people show up and then the Trump fans show up as well, then it becomes a much closer race and you could see Donald Trump eking it out. Yeah, I guess what remains to be seen is whether those people who are going to turn out just because Donald Trump is on the ballot are going to outweigh the number of people in the Republican Party who are just so disgusted with Trump that they'll never turn out for him. And so, like, you know, this is the first time that Trump will be on the ballot in in four years in 2024. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll 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 see what those numbers kind of ultimately like balance out into. Yeah. And the other thing you got to watch is these um the, they're known as the double haters, people who disapprove of both Biden and Trump. And a lot of these are voters who voted for Trump in 2016, switched over to Biden in 2020. And now I would have I would have been like, well, why would they go back to Trump? But, you know, some of them are like, well, I miss I miss the economy under Trump. And even though he's a little crazy, you know, I heard someone at a focus group say, I'll just uh, I'll turn the uh, I'll turn the television off. I won't listen to him and I'll just enjoy the Trump economy for four years, yeah. which is the, that's the thing that's got to keep us up at night and keep us thinking about how to reach those voters. And you've done like a ton of focus groups again, like with the wilderness. What was the weirdest thing that you've heard from a voter like that, that just didn't make sense? I mean, you've said it a million times. The voters are weird. So like what's the most bizarre kind of uh, combination of things you've heard? I had a focus group in 
Vegas with um, Hispanic voters who were sort of uh, non-college educated, undecided. And um, one guy was like, you know, I really like AOC and Ron DeSantis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what? What is that about? (laughs) They're like, well, they both seem like they're outside. They're like outsiders. You know, this this was lat. This was 2022, right? So they might not. He might not say this about Ron DeSantis now. He's like, they both seem like outsiders taking on the system. I was like, okay, sure. Going back to the those the polling of it all, you've been around these campaigns for a long time. Do you think there is some degree of kind of manufactured drama because the media needs it by by kind of um, really making these polls the highlight of of political coverage? I don't think that the media needs it as much, um, but I think it's something that they know drives conversation. And I think because the media is not just media outlets now, but like all of us on social media, yeah. like the conversation starts getting ahead of itself. And like I, you know, there, first of all, there's a lot of polls that are just junk polls, right? They're partisan polls, or they're polls that aren't really done well. I think the New York Times poll is uh, is traditionally been a, quite a good poll that has been quite accurate. And I think when you read like the poll or Nate Cohn's summary of the poll, like it's it's carefully done, and I think in a responsible way, the way they write about it. Then you've got headlines, tweets other people's opinion and like that's the stuff that starts getting a little silly and a little and ahead of its skis like I think that the problem in 2022 was not necessarily that the polls were saying that there was going to be a red wave it's that the punditry around the polls got ahead and said that there's going to be a red wave but the polls themselves minus again like some of the partisan Republican polls that were screwing up the averages um the, the the good quality polls pretty much nailed it yeah what do you think is working and not working within the Biden campaign right now I think what is working is they're doing a good. So they have a like a rapid response team at the campaign that's got like the it's like a a, a Biden Harris war room account that they're Biden they, HQ Biden HQ yeah. yeah and they are putting out a lot of clips of Donald Trump sounding like a moron yeah um, and I know that sounds simple and it's like Trump's bad we need to do more than that no, but I mean to talk about that because that that is a point that you brought up on a recent episode of Pod Save America about this idea because for so long kind of we had been operating under this this prevailing notion that we shouldn't give a platform to Donald Trump so can you just speak on that for a moment yes I think that one of the reasons Donald Trump's uh looking better to a lot of voters right now is because they we 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 don't have any collective memory anymore in America because media is so fast and we like forget yesterday's news cycle yeah. and let alone what the years from 2016 to 2020 were like uh never mind the insurrection um and so i think that people do need to be reminded of not only what donald trump was like and what his four years in office were like but what he is going to do if he becomes president again. And I think that what's working best with the Biden campaign is when is our contrast. So it's not just positive ads about Biden. It's not just purely negative ads about Trump. It is if Donald Trump and Republicans win, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to affect your life. If Joe Biden and the Democrats win, this is what's going to happen. And this is how it's going to affect your life. Because I think when it comes down to it, voters are not going to support candidates based solely on well, I don't like his character that much, or I'm disappointed in this, or I remember this thing. It's like, how's this going to affect my life, right? And if you know that Donald Trump becoming president is going to mean that where you live, you won't be able to get an abortion anymore, that's a, that's a big data point for people. Yeah. If it means that 
you know, you are the child of immigrants and you could be deported because Donald Trump has promised to do so like in his first day in office, then you're that's a good data point for you. Right. And I think those are the those are the issues that are going to eventually um, sort of get undecided people off the sidelines. And I think that's probably what the Biden campaign is going to focus on the most. Okay. Uh, does the prospect of a third party candidate or a number of third party candidates worry you at all? Like we may see some combination of Joe Manchin, Jill Stein, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Cornell West. Yes. Any any candidate that fractures the anti-Trump coalition that elected Joe Biden in 2020 and flipped the House for Democrats and the Senate is um, it worries me because I think and look, there's an argument over. Does RFK Jr. take more from Trump or take more from Biden? And I think you could argue that both ways. I sort of think it's also still too early to tell. But Donald Trump has, as we've talked about, like a base of support that's pretty strong. And Joe Biden's base of support is that is largely an anti-Trump coalition, right? There's definitely some like Democrats that would just go vote for Joe Biden. But the yeah. reason he got elected in 2020 is because people from AOC to Joe Manchin were like, we might not agree, but we don't like Donald Trump. Right. And anything that fractures that coalition is a danger to, uh, I would say, democracy, because it's either going to be Joe Biden or likely Donald Trump. Just on this idea of like kind of Republicans screwing themselves, then, you know, we've seen so many election results um, that are largely predicated on their on their uh, extreme abortion bans. Why double and triple down on this issue? Like it kind of defies logic that we are seeing them lose everywhere from Kentucky to Kansas to Ohio. And yet they keep pushing this. I mean, is is the answer just that they need to win a primary and that they're just pandering to their base and then hoping that nobody pays attention, you know, toward the general or, or what is the answer here? Uh, it could be a little bit of that. It also could be that they just really want to ban abortion and they don't care about the polls. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like take them at their word. They just yeah. really that for some of them, that's what it is for sure. Uh, others know that it's a political loser, have started to say that it, the bans are political losers or worried about them. But they're trying to navigate um, a base that is, you know, uh, very excited about the bans and others in the Republican coalition who were not, uh, right? Like, it's not just a political issue, but there's like, you know, I mean, I think the New York Times poll showed that 40% of Trump voters believe that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Yeah. Um, so they have voters who also don't want abortion bans, but they have voters who very much want abortion bans and don't want to stop at the states that have the bans right now. They want national bans and they don't want them for 20 weeks or 15 weeks or, or six, they want nothing. They want no, no exceptions. Yeah. I guess I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised that like these people aren't responsive to the will of the majority of voters. <laughs> like these yeah, aren't like yeah. stalwart defenders of democracy. Right. 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 Uh, do you think that Donald Trump and Joe Biden will debate? It's a good question. I think they will. I think they will, because I think that, I think the Trump people want it. And uh, at least they're sending signals that they want it because they think that Joe Biden, they've believed their own spin that Joe Biden is like senile and and couldn't stand in a debate. Yeah. And so then I think that the Biden people, I don't think they can back out of it. Uh, and I think that Biden, you know, will want to debate Trump and will want the contrast. Yeah. I mean, again, it shows to your exact point, it shows the contrast between the two pretty clearly when you have Donald Trump, who's going to be ranting and raving like a lunatic on that stage. And then Joe Biden, not, you know, not. Yeah, that's it. Um, now, we've got a year to go until the election. What is your strategy at Crooked Media to kind of make the most of this year? 
Yeah, so our um, uh, voting and elections initiative, Vote Save America, is uh, is going to be up and running again. It's a uh, if you go to votesaveamerica.com, it's a one stop shop for all of your voting and elections needs. We uh, try to get volunteers going. We had about a half a million volunteers in 2020. We're hoping to uh, have more uh, this year or 2024. Um, and those volunteers, we sort of worked with different Democratic causes, candidates. The Biden campaign, Senate campaigns, House campaigns, uh, grassroots organizations uh, in states that we really needed to win. We've um, raised like 20 million dollars in the last in last cycle for Senate candidates and other candidates. Um, so we give people ways to donate, ways for people to get involved and uh, ways for people to understand their ballot, uh, not only to register to vote and help other people register to vote, but to figure out what's on their ballot, not just on the top on the top of the ticket, but in down ballot races. So we'll be doing all of that and more next year. Um, we also have a book coming out uh, that, that Tommy Vitor and John Lovett and I wrote uh, with uh, our friend Josh Holloway. Uh, it's called Democracy or Else, How to Save America in 10 Easy Steps. And uh, it's going to it's going to be out June 25th. But I believe you can pre-order now wherever books are sold, which is exciting. And uh, it's just uh, it's hopefully a funny, useful guide to uh, what you can do to uh, help save democracy. Awesome. And we'll put the links to both Vote Save America and the book for pre-sales in the post description in the show notes of this episode. John, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thanks again to John. That's it for this episode. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, produced by Sam Graber, music by Wellesley, interviews captured and edited for YouTube and Facebook by Nicholas Nicotera, and recorded in Los Angeles, California. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast app. Feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review, and check out briantylercohen.com for links to all of my other channels.